the League of Women Voters says some Republicans are ducking candidate forums and dropping a dime on a group of thieves who stole, checks notes, some two million dimes. Welcome to The Morning Agenda, WITF's daily news podcast, where the only agenda is you. A good morning to you. It is Tuesday, October 24th. This is being recorded at 9.18 a.m. I'm your host, Tim Lambert, as we take this daily trip around the region's top stories. So let's get started in Philadelphia, where the Phillies face a Game 7 tonight against Arizona in the National League Championship Series. Philadelphia was blasted by the Diamondbacks last night, 5-1 in Game 6, to even the series at three games apiece. The winner of tonight's game advances to the World Series against Texas, which beat Houston for the American League pennant. Governor Josh Shapiro's office will pay $295,000 to settle a sexual harassment claim against former Legislative Affairs Secretary Mike Verub. My colleague Ben Wasserstein reports that money will come out of taxpayers' pockets. According to documents obtained by WITF through a right-to-know request, the settlement was agreed to on September 5th, about three weeks before Verub's resignation. Close to $196,000 will go to the woman who said he harassed her, while two additional payments of around 49000 will go to her attorneys. All but $45,000 will be paid through the state's Employee Liability Self-Insurance Program. The rest will come from the governor's office. A woman who worked for Verb said he used lewd, vulgar, and demeaning language that objectified her. The governor's office agreed to provide sexual harassment training to all members of the policy and legislative affairs staff. The settlement also says the Commonwealth and the governor's office deny liability and wrongdoing. Verib had worked under Shapiro since 2017 in the attorney general's office and the governor's office. Well, the election is just two weeks away, which means candidate forums are happening all across the Commonwealth. But Olivia Marble from our partner WLVR in Bethlehem reports some candidates have stopped showing up. Lehigh County's League of Women Voters planned to host a forum for county commissioner candidates. The organization dropped it after all of the Republican candidates declined. Chapter President Mary Erdman says several cited the same reason. We heard you're not fair. I don't want to be part of the forum where you favor one party over the other. The League of Women Voters bills itself as nonpartisan, empowering all voters. But Republicans nationwide have questioned the organization's neutrality because it also advocates for things like abortion rights and climate justice, causes typically championed by Democrats. Erdman says the League focuses on the issue, not the party. Sometimes Republicans will agree with us and sometimes Democrats will agree with us. But that doesn't mean that we join with them or that we endorse them. Erdman says GOP candidates who have participated in the forums have found them to be fair. For nearly two months, people in Bradford County have criticized commissioners for proposing to close the county's main library and potentially breaking the Sunshine Act. While closing a county's library is certainly under county commissioners' purview, many people are enraged not just by the proposed loss of 36,000 materials, which include books, journals, and other resources, but by a series of decisions made behind closed doors. Commissioners have argued they do not need to make their library advisory committee's meetings public. Melissa Maluski is in-house counsel for the PA News Media Association. She says commissioners and the panel will break the law if they keep their meetings private. If you cut the public out of the committee process, the law recognizes that you cut the public out of the policymaking process as well. The committee plans to give commissioners its recommendations on what to do with the Bradford County Library in 90 days. 
An Altoona man is pleading guilty to all charges, including second-degree murder related to the death of a corrections officer. Sydney Roach is with our partner, WPSU, in State College. Christopher Aikens pleaded guilty Monday morning to several crimes, including for his role in Rhonda Russell's death in November 2021. The Blair County District Attorney's Office says Aikens, an inmate at the time, was trying to escape and got a hold of Russell's gun. That's when another officer responded and shot his own gun. The DA's office says Aikens pulled Russell into the line of fire. She died from those injuries, despite quick medical aid. Aikens is scheduled for sentencing on November 13th. Now, the DA's office expects the court to impose a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment. His other charges include robbery, kidnapping, and escape. Have you heard about our weekly newsletter, The Purple Buck? WITF's Director of Journalism, Scott Blanchard, puts it together as a way to help you make sense of the massive amounts of news you encounter and to be able to assess what is solid reporting and what isn't. You can subscribe at WITF.org slash newsletters. Just pick The Purple Buck. So there are about a dozen news sites across central Pennsylvania that I check out each morning. And today I found a couple of stories to put on your radar because they cover issues that could impact you and your community in the future, or they're just interesting. So here's what you need to know. Authorities say a third person has died as a result of a weekend crash on the turnpike involving a tanker truck carrying jet fuel and a pair of stopped cars. State police say a vehicle had a flat tire just before 10.30 a.m. Saturday on I-476 in Montgomery County. Another vehicle stopped behind it and the truck ran into both of them. The truck driver and the driver of the second vehicle were killed and police now say a passenger in the vehicle has also died. The driver of the car with a flat tire remains hospitalized. Federal authorities have unsealed charges against four men in the theft earlier this year of more than two million dimes from a tractor trailer that had picked up the coins from the U.S. Mint in Philadelphia. Authorities have said the driver was bound from Miami on April 13th when he pulled into a parking lot to catch some Z's. They say thieves raided the truck overnight, stealing a portion of the $750,000 in dimes. That's a shipment that weighs six tons. The heist left thousands of coins scattered over the lot. The Philadelphia Inquirer reports four defendants face conspiracy, robbery, theft of government money, and other charges. And the longtime district attorney in one mid-state county has died. Penn Live reports Union County DA Peter Johnson passed away about two months before his scheduled retirement. A paraplegic since the age of 24 due to a medical issue, he held the office for 28 years. Among his cases were the arrest of four young men for throwing a rock off an overpass on I-80 in 2014, which critically injured an Ohio schoolteacher, and Merle Miller, who was convicted earlier this year of poisoning her husband in 2018. Johnson was elected DA in 1995 and was believed to have been the longest-serving district attorney in the Commonwealth. Now it's time to take a deeper dive into a story we've been checking in on since February. A group of major science institutions is considering health questions in East Palestine, Ohio, after that train derailment several months ago. Julie Grant is with our partners, the Allegheny Front in Pittsburgh, and she reports it impacted communities on both sides of the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. 
The National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, three private nonprofit organizations, have convened a committee of toxicologists, epidemiologists, emergency medical responders, and even an East Palestine pastor. They're looking at what's already known about the health effects of the train derailment and its aftermath, and what residents and local health providers still want to know. The derailed train cars released various industrial chemicals into the community. Five cars full of vinyl chloride, a human carcinogen, were purposely vented and then set on fire, creating a dark chemical plume seen for miles around. Dr. Maureen Lichtveld, the dean of the Graduate School of Public Health at the University of Pittsburgh, is a member of the committee. And this is not a committee that will come up with conclusions and specific recommendations, but it's really a coming together in a holistic way of sharing ideas and expertise. Lichtveld was involved in the public health response after the terrorist attack on 9-11 and the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico in 2010. She says it's essential that the community is part of the process to understand which questions to ask and how to answer them. How do we can we best measure exposure? What are the kinds of physical and mental health effects we should focus on? How do we measure and follow up over a longer period of time? What happens with the people who were exposed? The National Academies are hosting four public listening sessions over two weeks, one in the local community for general health conversation, one focused on mental health, another about pediatric issues, and the first one was about public health services and health care in the area. Misty Allison, an East Palestine resident who's running for mayor, was there. It's really important to look forward in what we can do because we can't change the past. Allison's family lives 1.2 miles from the derailment site. She, her husband, and two small children returned home a couple of days after the evacuation order was lifted. She says they had acute medical issues, and local providers treated their symptoms but didn't know how else to help them. And what can be done from a public health perspective to ensure that everybody in the community is on the same page and is getting the best healthcare monitoring and tracking for years to come that we need. Scientists and researchers were also at the first session. The committee asked Wes Vins, health commissioner at Columbiana County General Health District, about the very first things his office heard from people after the derailment. So the concerns of the resident, obviously, first and foremost, was fire, right? Smoke, uh, I'm displaced from my home. Then we started to hear about folks that that had concerns for health, right? Uh, They had concerns for the environment, the the streams, and and certainly drinking water in a rural community. Vin says he was proud of the health response. His agency helped open a community health clinic in East Palestine and coordinated with state agencies and a nearby hospital to get people additional treatment. We're very fortunate to have that level of collaboration between mental health, public health, physical health, and emergency response. That's something I think we did very well. Still, he says all the unknowns were hard on people, and he thinks there's more to be done. We need to recognize that. We need to address the stress and the mental health pieces as much as we do the physical pieces. The second National Academy session focused on pediatrics, but also touched on mental health. Zuja Jenis said she and her nine-year-old are still living in a hotel because the chemical smell in their home, about a mile from the derailment site, makes them sick. I'm curious of how to help my son kind of 
I mean, he picks up on a lot of hearing about medical symptoms, and I think he's a little nervous. And without us understanding what testing means or what anything means, like, what's a good way to, like, talk about it or just, like, kind of, you know, exist with it for the time being that doesn't, in a way that doesn't scare him. The committee will use questions like this from the public sessions to inform a two-day workshop in early November, where its experts will figure out possible future research projects. For the Allegheny Front, I'm Julie Grant. I'd like to remind you now that The Morning Agenda is available anywhere you find your favorite podcast and on WITF's YouTube channel. And if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends and on your social media channels because you can play a big part in spreading the word about The Morning Agenda and you can help us continue to grow. So what was the best song you heard on your drive to work today? Let me know about it on Twitter. I'm at TLambert895, or you can email me, Tim underscore Lambert at WITF.org. And you can check out our Spotify playlist, the Morning Agenda Song of the Day. October 2023 is its name. My pick today is I'm going back to Pearl Jam and Corduroy. Now, I'll explain because I've been keeping track of a song of the day on my Facebook page since like 2014. And this was my 2000th song of the day posted to Facebook. So, of course, I had to go with my favorite band and one of my favorite songs from Pearl Jam. And that is going to do it for today's edition of The Morning Agenda. It's a daily news podcast from WITF where the only agenda is you. I'm your host, Tim Lambert. Thank you so much for listening today. Your company is always appreciated and never, ever, ever taken for granted. So be well. Enjoy the rest of this day. We'll talk again tomorrow.